Welcome to The Road Untraveled. I'm your host, Brian Hollins, and today we are joined by Jules Maltz, general partner at IVP, who has an incredible track record as an investor and was recently named to the Midas list for the third year in a row as one of the top 100 venture investors in the world. I want to note that Jules and I recorded this before the Black Lives Matter protests began, so we don't touch on the subject, but I want you to know that Jules continues to work to fight for these types of changes, and in fact is a part of the All Raise VC Champions platform, which is focused on helping to get more women and people of color up the ranks in venture, and has also been a mentor to me for over four years, so I'm very appreciative of him and his work. I hope you enjoy our discussion. This is The Road Untraveled. Hey, Jules, how's it going? Good. Good to talk to you, Brian. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, for anyone that, that's just jumping on, uh, Jules Maltz is a general partner at IVP, where he leads late stage enterprise investments for the firm. Uh, he was recognized uh, actually just about a week ago for the third year in a row to the Midas list by Forbes magazine as one of the top 100 VCs in the world. Uh, he has led IVP investments in names like Dropbox, Slack, MuleSoft, Zendesk, and many more. Uh, some of which were incepted during the 0809 uh, recession. And so, Jules, I'd love to start there. Uh, if you could just talk about some of the main differences you're seeing between the 0809 recession and this pandemic, uh, I thought that'd be a, a great place for us to jump off. Yeah, no, thanks, Brian. And maybe before I start, I just, you know, I hope everybody listening and, and you yourself and everyone is um, is healthy and, you know, and, and their families are healthy. It's, it's, um, it's very different. Uh, during this crisis because, um, because of, uh, it's a health issue and, um, yeah. you know, that's not something that, you know, it was a, it was a financial crisis in 2008. We had banks failing and people losing jobs, you know, attached to financial services. But, um, but this is very different when you're seeing, you know, the, you know, people with, you know, um, very scary health, uh, uh challenges yeah. and, and, um, and so it's something that's different than I've ever dealt with in my career. Um, I do think there are some lessons from 2008, but um, but but this is affecting all of us in just different ways. We're working from home. We're um, you know we're dealing with uh, being you know close to our families. I've got a four and a six year old who are constantly you know interrupting <laughs> me and on, on things yeah. like this. But um, uh, but yeah, you know, my heart really goes out to a lot of the you know the first responders and people at the front lines of this and. You know, this is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big change, but, um, you know, but the market is cyclical and, you know, we're going through one now and, you know, we'll, we'll get through it, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a big, big challenge right now in all of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious if, if anything within the investing sector in particular, you think is different, you know, are, are there, um, are there changes to the SaaS model that you expect to see that maybe we didn't see in 0809, or are there changes to the sort of construction of teams uh, that you think will will persist after this that maybe we didn't see in the last recession? Yeah, I think what's interesting about the current crisis we're in, just given that everybody's working from home and 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 consumers have have just made major shifts in their purchasing. Um, the, I think the big change with this crisis is how it's affecting technology companies so differently. So you take a company like, you know, Airbnb or, or Uber or something where it's, you know, very reliant or we work where, where it's very reliant on people, you know, either working on uh, you know, working in offices or going on vacations um, or traveling physically. And all of that's been, you know, disappears. Um, and yeah. at the same time, there's other companies, you know, whether it's Slack or Zoom or, or even a company in our portfolio, Masterclass, uh, which is, you know, has entertainment content. That are seeing uh, demand in some cases go up by 50 or 100 percent in a matter of weeks, and so it's this really strange thing in our portfolio where we almost have seen this 
this separation where certain companies are in um, massive crisis and then other companies you know, are really maybe seeing this as an opportunity to, to invest. I think with the SaaS, with most SaaS businesses, if they're focused on larger customers, you know, they're doing okay, especially if it, you know, they don't need to do, you know, unless they're very reliant on conferences or, or in-person selling, um, you know, they're, they're doing all right. And I think the nice thing about SaaS models is that, you know, they continue to make money, um, you know, uh, in a recurring nature, regardless yeah. of, of needing to kind of physically be anywhere. Um, the businesses that are more focused on SMBs and small businesses, if you're selling to a local restaurant or hairdresser, you saw the, you know, big layer, layer layoff at toast, um, you know, you're going to see a major changes in some of those businesses. And so it's, it's definitely better to be outside the SMB space for now, but, um, you know, our hope is that, you know, with, with some of the, you know, the government relief that, you know, that the SMB space can come back at some point as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, what, what is, what is effectively SMB versus enterprise, but let's talk about another comparison, which is the early stage versus the growth stage companies, you know, to your point, I, I think, uh, a company that has, you know, the cash to, to sort of weather the storm is probably going to be better than one that doesn't. But aside from that type of thing, is there anything in particular that you're watching in, you know, some of your early stage companies versus the ones that have matured that you also spend time with? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the number one, um, thing on all of our company's minds is just survival <laughs> during this time period, yeah. which is not like a fun, you know, it's, it's an important goal, but it's not like what we'd all love to be talking about <laughs> IPOs or yeah. M&A or how do we really grow our business. And, you know, instead, I think it's really survival and, and almost just like there's a, you know, the Maslow hierarchy of human needs, you know, we need food and shelter and, and sleep, um, you know, in, yeah. in startups. Um, you know, cash is really the most important thing. And, you know, companies, I, I remember from, from my time in business school, <laughs> companies don't go out of business because they, the idea fails, they go out of business because <clears throat> they run out of money. And, yeah. uh, and ultimately, if you're able to, you know, protect your resources and, and not run out of money, you, you have the chance to either, you know, pivot your business into a new area that, that can make you uh, self-sustaining or, or weather the storm that we're in. And so, most of our conversations have been around, you know, what companies need to do to, to make sure that um, even if this um, downturn is more prolonged, that they're able to come out of it even stronger. Um, we've got about 80 portfolio companies. Fortunately, a lot of them raised money in the last um, two years. And so I think there's only four or five businesses that need capital in our portfolio. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, we've been luckier than, than many, but at the same time, a lot of those other, you know, 75 companies, you know, they're, they're, some of them are doing layoffs and taking steps to make sure they don't need capital. So yeah, the conversation right. really changes. Um, uh, but the CEOs that have been in, in it before, um, you know, they're taking swift action and, you know, they're going to, it's going to be painful and, and I think morally very difficult, or sorry, emotionally very difficult uh, for many of these CEOs. Yeah. And I think we really have to, you know, give them our empathy and, and caring, but, and, yeah. and the employees that are affected uh, most importantly, but um you know, the, the most important thing is just the business survives and, and then they're able to, to make it through. Yeah. I, I want to get your, your take on something that I'm uh, thinking will, will, you know, potentially start to happen a little more of, um, you know, if you look at something like Foursquare and Factual, um, you know, location-based data analytics companies, um, great, great founder and Gil Elbaz um, on the Factual side, you know, seeing businesses merge um, is that something that you think starts to happen a little more frequently 
uh, in the next 12 months, i.e., you know, maybe these things stand alone, aren't able to survive, but together they could be pretty interesting. Or are you getting the sense that you think we'll see that or, or how, how will companies respond to not being able to have the cash to get through these types of things? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, private to private M&A is really the, more the exception than the rule. And so I think it's going to be really rare. Um, you know, it takes founding teams that can work together and, and, uh, and ultimately, um, you know, decide who's in charge. And, and, and that yeah. can be a really difficult thing. And especially if you're running out of cash or you're low on cash, the last thing you want to do is add complexity of a acquisition and try to figure all that out. So I think it may happen and you could actually maybe even see some consolidation in some spaces that are, that are lower margin and, and yeah. things get better. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to think about a world in which, you know, Uber and Lyft had merged and what would that mean to the, you know, the margins of those businesses or DoorDash and Postmates and, you know, the same thing with, with, with some of those spaces where I think people may say, Hey, you know, it's, let's not compete in this, in this time of just trying to survive, let's uh, let's work together. So yeah. I think it may happen in some, um, but it's those are so hard to pull off. And and right now the board is just, you know, if if you were doing five or ten things in your business, you know, three months ago, now we're the boards are all telling them, hey, do do one <laughs> thing, you know, <laughs> just yeah. make it through. Right. And then yeah. three months later, like we can expand and we can think about M and A, we can think about something else, but let's just get it through this period. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, let's talk a little bit about just uh, if you think about a founder's checklist, you know, the types of things that they should be focused on. To your point, survival is obviously key. But when you think about customer retention in particular, you know, how what are some of the best practices that you're seeing uh, some of your later stage companies deploy in order to, you know, just help companies feel like they're being communicated to and that and that there's a, a sort of sequence or cadence to allow people to stay on the same page? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is that it's going to be a lot easier to retain your existing customers than to sign new customers in this market environment. And so the reason being is every, every dollar that's, you know, over some threshold, probably, you know, 10 or $20,000, it's going to be reviewed by the CFO and the CEO now, because everyone is so focused on, on expenses and, and even at big companies, even at, you know, you think about, um, Fortune 500 companies that have made made layoffs, you know, they're not going to spend a million dollars on new software without it really um, being scrutinized. And so companies are delaying a lot of new purchasing. And what that means is that if you're a startup and you've got, you know, 200 or 300 customers, you really want to make sure that those 200 or 300 um, are happy with your product and will continue to pay you money. And um, that can be more, you know, making sure that you're reducing churn can be more valuable to the business than trying to sign up a new customer mm-hmm. in an environment where where people may have paused buying. And so um, so that's going to be a challenge. I, I do think there's certain products, and I was talking about it earlier with like Slack or, you know, Zoom, where, you know, these are must-have products in this environment, and you're going to see people spending money on must-have products like security or infrastructure. I think those companies will fare better than a company that's trying to, you know, present something that's maybe more focused on revenue growth. We really and all of our companies change the messaging for our products around, you know, from around, hey, this can, you know, instead of this product can help you grow your business or really expand rapidly. Now, you know, this product can help you save money or this product can really, you know, um, you know, make yeah. you much more efficient because I think that's what that's what executives and boards are really looking to in their in their purchasing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm curious if, 
you know, if you think about the time that you're spending uh, with founders, are, are there any are there any uh, things in particular that you're having them do on the stress testing side? And so as, as you think about downside scenario testing, you know, is it is it take revenue to zero and see what happens? Uh, is it cut, you know, 50 percent of your customer base? Like what are what are some of the things that you're having them deploy in order to get a better sense of, of what these different scenarios could look like? Yeah, I think the. Um... Well, the, my favorite thing is the best CEOs do this without even you asking for it because <laughs> they're, you know, they're going to know yep. their business way better than you. And so even if you say, hey, what if, what if you took your, you know, your churn doubled, you know, they're, they're going to have a better sense of, you know, is that an aggressive assumption or maybe churn could triple, you know, uh, and, and so it's hard yeah. sometimes as a board yeah. member to say, hey, run this exact analysis. And so that's why we rely on the companies to do that. But I do think that I, I do, I do think that the companies need to think about how long this lasts for. And I think some businesses initially took a point of view of, Hey, this could be a four week or six week disruption. And, you know, then we'll be back on track. So what do we do to get through that? I think the smarter companies said, okay, what if this is a year, you know, what if, uh, what if this, not that we're all mm -hmm. working from home for a year, hopefully not, but what if this comes in waves and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, this may be, uh, you know, drives the economy into some sort of recession where, where people are, um, are spending less and our, our churn is always at these elevated levels or our, you know, our new customers, you know, always are, are kind of growing at this rate and, you know, how much cash do we have and, and can we kind of weather this? And, and the best companies are saying, Hey, if, if this happens, I will then take this other action. And so I've, I've been in a bunch of boards where they're saying they essentially kind of almost um, kind of do the game theory or, or role playing of, you know, if we see churn come in at, you know, at double our current levels, that means we reduce headcount by this amount, or that means that we, you know, change pricing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and those are hard things to, you know, to sort of um, plan for, but they're sort of getting ahead of, you know, uh, you know, you never want to be surprised in your business and they're, they're trying to get ahead of it. But, but nobody really knows. I mean, I think that's why, you know, you're, you're interviewing experts about, you know, or people you think are experts, but I've never been through this. I've been through yeah. other challenges, but all I know is you just want to build sure. in enough degrees of freedom, um, you know, that, that, you know, churn can double, churn can triple, you know, you can miss a quarter by 50%. Yeah. And it doesn't mean the business is, is, you know, is gone. So that's the, the key is, you know, you have enough yeah. degrees of freedom to, to weather, weather some big shocks. Yeah, that's great. Um, two more for you. This has been super insightful. I really appreciate you joining me. Um, the, the first one is, you know, let's talk about the funding environment. And so to your point, you know, a lot of your companies happen to be in a good spot. Maybe some others aren't in other portfolios. And so as you think about raising money in the next six to 12 months, uh, what does capital look like? Uh, how, how aggressively termed are term sheets? Um, I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the funding environment post post this paper. Yeah, my, my favorite, um, my, my favorite kind of uh, thing right now in this environment is the number of VCs I see saying, hey, we're open for business. We just gave a term sheet. We just, you know, everything's the same. It, <laughs> it's not the same, you know, right? Yep. It's all the marketing is the same. Yep. People want to obviously to, to review, you know, new, new investments and, and to feel busy, but, um, but the, the dollar is being invested right now. And, and I expect it to, you know, be even lower for Q2. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be way down in venture. So I just think people are figuring out, yeah. you know, this new, the new normal and um, valuations are starting to adjust. Um, a lot of companies are raising more 
capital at the last round prices that they may have priced six months or, or a year ago. Um, there still will be some exceptional businesses that are going to be able to raise capital even in this environment. Um, and, you know, we funded some of them, yeah. but it's, um, you know, HashiCorp is one that, you know, that announced um, in Podium and our portfolio recently. Um, but that's going to be the exception. Like yeah. most businesses, um, this is a terrible time to raise capital, especially if, if your business, if it's not clear what's happening to your business with COVID, it's not a good time to raise money because the last thing that a venture investor wants is more uncertainty. Venture businesses are risky enough. Yeah, venture businesses are risky enough, yeah. right? Just even, yeah. you know, can you, but if people don't know like what's happening to your business right now, um, then people yeah. will just wait, you know, venture investors will wait. So for businesses yeah. where there's like, hey, you know, masterclasses again is a great example. It's like their bookings have grown very strongly through COVID and it's continuing this month and this week. Um, you know, that is a company that I think can raise in any environment. Um, there are other businesses, you know, if you're on a quarterly enterprise sales cycle and, you know, you may not really know how COVID affects your business until Q2 or Q3, because, you know, that's when all the pipeline that you, you should have generated this quarter will really, you know, turn into deals. So, um, so it's a little scary thing for businesses yeah. where there's, there's so much uncertainty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any silver linings? Uh, you know, I, I think I, I love to end on this just because I think there are some some positives that should come on the other side of this, uh, particularly when you think about how tech can be adopted uh, and pushed into, you know, our everyday lives in a more meaningful way. Um, I'm curious if there's anything in particular that you're excited. Yeah, about. Yeah, well, I think I, I'll maybe I'll give a personal one and then a business one on the personal one. I think what's been really amazing is yeah. to like and hopefully for for some other people, you know, to you know, there's been a lot of obviously challenges with this, but but also like, you know, I get to have dinner with my kids every single night and uh, I get to spend more time during the day and I get to, you know, um, you know, staying six or 12 feet away from other people, get to go for runs or walks and, you know, and, and do things that probably I didn't get to do and, and, and have a new appreciation of what's important personally. Um, and so I think that is something that all of us in this environment are starting to figure out like what what really drives our own happiness and, and what makes us, you know, connect with the world yeah. and how important it is to give people hugs and, and, and see people in person and how much we miss that. And, and, um, <laughs> and so that's sort of on a personal, I think just a silver lining about, you know, I think I've learned a lot about myself and what I personally want um, in terms of business. I, you know, I love the fact that I graduated college during a downturn in 2001 and that I went, graduated business school in 2008 during a downturn because downturns are great time for <laughs> no great it's downturns a are fact. great time for people to start especially with like energy and optimism and positivity because like you don't have the baggage of dealing with you know 10 or 15 portfolio companies that are struggling or <laughs> that are having to get through it and you're kind of going okay well what yeah. what is new in the world or needs to exist in the world or what can I invest in and I think having that framework of like you know, yeah. the future will be bright again. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great time to be in business school. It's a great time to be looking for companies. Um, and <laughs> we'll be out there. I mean, we invested in Twitter in early 2009. Um, and that was our best return, you know, in the last 20 years. So I think um, there are going to be some great companies yeah. out there. Founders are going to start some great businesses. Um, but it's going to be hard. And it's going to, and it's, it's, there's not going to be um, those are going to be the exceptions. Obviously, not every company is going to have massive success during this time period. Yeah. Um, but I think what's exciting is that our business is trying to find those and 
and entrepreneurs, you know, are trying to build them and, you know, that's still going to happen. Yeah, that's great. And uh, since we're talking about silver linings, I want to make sure we also uh, shout out your wife's uh, mental health, uh, you know, work because she's done some incredible stuff. And so I, I don't know if you want to give the, the 20 seconds on that, but I, I definitely think, uh, you know, that it's incredibly relevant during times like this where everyone's at home and uh, mental health is obviously yeah, something Yeah, no, thanks. My, um, my wife, Kelly Greenwood, started a, a nonprofit called Mindshare Partners. Um, it's mindsharepartners.org. Uh, and they um, do trainings and education around um, workplace mental health. And so they're working with a number of large um, kind of Fortune 500 companies uh, and um, really trying to help managers and um, employees um, destigmatize mental health conditions um, in the workplace. My wife has had yeah. um, generalized anxiety for her whole life. Um, she's been very successful professionally, um, you know, even with it. I think one in one in four people, uh, potentially even more, will have a mental health um, condition in their lifetime. And almost every year, I think there's, it's like one in five or one in six every year. Um, so it's, yeah. it's something that we're all dealing with. If anyone who's listening to this is, you know, needs resources, um, you know, feel free to check out Mindshare Partners. And um, they've got a lot of things for, you know, if you're a manager and you suspect someone on your team is going through something or you yourself are going through something, um, you know, that's normal. And, you know, we can all get through it. And, just like if someone had, you know, a, a medical or, you know, uh, a health issue, you know, you'd want to be able to talk about it and, and get the help you need. Um, you know, therapy appointments yeah. and other things you need are, are, are essential and, and that's really helpful. So um, I care a lot about that personally. And uh, um, thanks Absolutely. for mentioning that, Brian, and hope, uh, no, that's great. hope others uh, find it valuable. Thanks for joining, my man. Thanks for talking.